All right. The blessing of money. You know, I, I, I thought about coming up with a cute title for you and uh, coming up with a title. You know how, like, sometimes pastors make it sound, uh, try to sound like it's something that's really not. Uh, but I decided, you know what? I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's, called, it's about money today. I'm just going to be right up front with you. So if you want to be mad, you can go ahead and start now and uh, start and get over it, all right? But I'm just going to tell you right up front what it's about. Jesus talked about money uh, more than any other subject that he mentioned, materials and possessions and money com- combined. Uh, matter of fact, 2,350 times we have money and possessions talked about in the whole Bible itself. And that's twice as many scriptures as we have about prayer and faith combined. So it's pretty amazing when we stop and see how much he had to see. say half of, our, half of the parables Jesus spoke about have to do with either money or possessions. So Jesus had a lot to say about finances, about money, about materials. I remember when I, was a, uh, when I became a youth pastor, and I was over at First Baptist Euless, and I was a youth pastor over there, and we were needing some more staff. Uh, we were trying to hire some people on our youth staff, and so uh, I, I always hated that interview process where, you know, you do the resume and put the colored picture on there, and then you come in, and whoever smooches you the best, you know, you kind of hire. I, n- I never believed in that process because it's like whoever's the best car salesman, you know what I mean, kind of deal. That's who, you, that's who you hire. And so I just never thought that was a good way to do it. So I got this bright idea. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my interns go in, and they'll do an interview, but the real interview will be outside before they go in, and I'll just sit out there and act like I'm a candidate. So uh, I just sat there and talked to them. So the real interview came before they ever walked into the interview. That was nothing, okay? The real test was before they got there. You know, and that's a, that's a good picture of earth for us in heaven. The life that we live right here is the test. When we get to heaven, I know we tell all these jokes about questions. They're, gonna, they're not going to ask any questions. To be absent from the body is to be present with God, the Bible tells us. So uh, the test is happening right here, not once we get there. Now, we're going to look at a, a book of the Bible that's one of my favorite. matter of fact, my very favorite in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to look at a story there in just a moment, 2 Kings chapter 5. But in your bulletin, I gave you a little handout. And it kind of tells, gives you a little history and a little information and background. On one side, it gives you all, not all, but many passages that have to do uh, with money and possessions. And then the other side, it tells you about the tithe, which uh, started in the Old Testament which means one-tenth and was the process by which God asked people to honor Him and dedicate uh, their belongings and to commit to Him. And uh, that was used uh, during the Old Testament times. And then also the three reasons, the three places that the tithe went were these three places. First of all, it was given for the Levites and the priests, those who were their ministers, and the upkeep of the temple. The second one, it was for the feast and the celebration of the feast. Now, that was a time where they did, they, the Jews had, uh, really at, at one time they had up to 11 feasts, but nine feasts that we're very aware of, and many of them still practice uh, five to seven of them even today. Uh, but those feasts, many of them were times where people could come from the community, regardless of what you had, regardless of what your status was, regardless of what you believed. It was almost kind of a, a big time of outreach and celebration where people would come together in community and celebrate the goodness of God and people would get a picture of the glory of God. It was meant to kind of mimic and be a foreshadowing of the great banquet table of heaven. And then thirdly, it was to help those who were poor and less fortunate. Now, as we look at the New Testament, uh, we can see the same things. We can see uh, Paul makes a case for uh, supporting the ministry and the ministers of the gospel. Then secondly, uh, also the, the church itself. 
And then thirdly, the poor. That's continued. We also see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 2 Corinthians uh, 8 a strong case for church planting. So when you give to our church, those are the things that we support as well. And we welcome you to sit down with our finance committee if you have any questions or you want to see anything. But we do those based on biblical principle, both of yesteryear and of, of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to begin with the 19th verse in just a moment. But I want to give you a little history. This is the story of Naaman. Uh, Naaman was the, the Syrian... Uh, commander, the root, kind of the predominant military of that day. And he comes to Elisha and has leprosy and uh, asks Elisha if he can heal him. He's willing to pay whatever. But Elisha tells him to go and dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. At first, Naaman is offended by this, and he thinks he's just being kind of castigated or cast off. And so he begins to leave, but a servant tells him, if he had asked you to do some great thing, would you have done it? And he said, yeah, I would have done that. And he goes, then why not do the small thing? Great question for us. Why not do the small thing? So many times we want to do the big thing, and God says, can you begin with the little thing? But as we proceed from there, we see that after he follows in obedience and dips himself in the Jordan seven times, the Bible said he is cleansed of his leprosy, the most dreaded disease of that day and time. He's completely cleansed. And we see that there's a transformation that takes place in Naaman's life. We see in verse 15 of chapter 5 that he proclaims the glory of God. He also says that he wants to give for the glory of God. And then we pick up and we go through the rest of the chapter and we'll see where Naaman is willing to humble himself and he asked this question of Gehazi later on, Elisha's servant. Is everything okay? I want to make sure that everything is okay within the kingdom. And then fourthly, he's willing to give more than what he's asked. Now that is the heart of someone who's been transformed by grace. That is the heart of someone who is sharing of the grace. Now there's another individual who actually happens to be Naaman's associate. And his name is Gehazi. Or as Walter sometimes calls him, uh, Gehazi. Because uh, he thinks that sounds more sleazy. But uh, Gehazi. Gehazi is the assistant of Elisha. And he has been with Elisha. He's seen the miracles of Elisha. He's heard the prophecies and the preaching of Elisha. And he sees what's happened with Naaman. And it doesn't sit real well with him. And what we'll notice about Gehazi is he's someone who is associated with grace but has not been transformed by grace. See, there's a big difference than simply being associated. There are many people who are associated with the church. Maybe they're even associated with God. They know who He is. They know about Him. But they've not been transformed by the grace of God. And we're going to see the difference in two people's lives. We see in Naaman's life, transformation happens. He's a different man. He has different values. But Gehazi, no transformation has occurred. And in fact, the love of money causes evil within his heart. Picking up in verse 19 of 2 Kings chapter 5, Go in peace, Elisha said. And after Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to him, My master was too easy on Naaman. <clears throat> you ever heard that before? Sometimes people feel like other folks just got off too easy. You know, Gehazi is here, and he has probably, you know, been fairly faithful to Elisha. They haven't had much money. They're always wondering how they're going to pay the light bill, how rent's going to get paid. And yet, hey man, 
He's got a direct access to God. And here's a situation where if somebody wants to give us a boatload of money, and Elisha turns it down. And why does Elisha turn it down? Because he wants God to be glorified. He doesn't want anybody to think they can buy off the Almighty God. God chooses whom He shall bless. And it has nothing to do with us manipulating the circumstances. And so... Here's Elisha. He's told him no because he wants God to be glorified. But Elisha, but uh, Gehazi sees this and it makes him mad. He thinks, man, those guys have never been anything but troubled us. That guy is loaded. We ought to take some of that money. Lord knows we need it. I've been faithful. I've been good. Why can't I have some money? Why can't I have some good stuff? Why can't I have the luxuries of life? Ever been there? You're looking at other people. Look what they got. Man, I go to church every Sunday. I even help hold babies. Matter of fact, I pick up some of the bulletins that were on the floor. I even park back there. And look, some of those people, they don't do anything. And they park up here in the cloak close in the front. And they get the good seats in church. This makes me mad. You know, that's a good indicator that we're associated with Christ, but we hadn't been transformed by the Spirit of Christ. We're associated with grace, but we hadn't been transformed by grace. Let's move on and see what continues here in this story. So Gehazi, we see here, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him, the end of verse 20, and, some, and I will get something for him. I'm going to go get me some money. I don't care what Elisha says. I don't care what's happened. I'm going to go get some. I'm going to go get rich quick. I deserve it. That's where I'm headed. I'm going to go chase the money. You know, in Luke chapter 12, and I'll read it to you later on, there's only one time in the New Testament that God ever calls anybody a fool. And He calls the rich man in chapter 12 a fool because he built, he has barns and he has houses. He says, I'm going to tear these down. I'm going to build more. And I'm just going to eat, drink, and marry and live the easy life. And God says, you fool, this night your very soul will be required of you. you have not, you're not rich toward God. You're storing up stuff that you won't be able to take with you. And you've missed the whole point in life. Gehazi doesn't recognize it, but he is with the greatest prophet of that day. He's with the person that God uses as his speaking instrument, as his moving instrument. But he sees the dollar signs and he says, I'm going to go get some. And so in verse 21, Gehazi hurries after Naaman. He's in a hurry. He wants to get it quick. And when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said... Is everything all right? You got Gehazi, who's associated with God. You got Naaman, who's been transformed with God. Naaman shows an act of humility. He's the commander of the most powerful army in civilization. It is an act of humility for him to step off of that chariot and visit and speak to a servant. But while the servant is still coming, he steps off and meets him eye to eye. And he asked this question. The question that each of us need to ask ourselves today. Is everything right? Is everything right with you today? Is there a part of your life that God doesn't have control of? Is there a part of your spirit that you've chosen to hang on to and say, God, this is mine. Everything else is yours. Is everything right with you spiritually, emotionally, socially? We need to do an inventory most of us, and ask ourselves that question. God, search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, help me as I will confess that. And I want to deal with that. God, I want you to use me. 
That's what it means to be transformed by the power of grace. There is nothing so great that we can't give or share with a God Almighty. We recognize that everything we've been given is from His hand. Naaman knows this now, even in his, in his infancy of faith. And he says, is everything all right? And then what does Gehazi do? Here's what Gehazi says. He says, everything's fine. Everything's great. It's all good. Everything's real well. But, but there is one thing. My master sent me to say to you, two young men have come from the company of the prophets and have just come to me from the hillside of Ephraim. Please give me a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. What does he do here? Gehazi takes the good name of Elisha. He takes the name of God and he manipulates it and he abuses it for his own selfish lust, for his own grandizement. That's what he does. He says, my master has sent me. You know, sometimes we see people doing that today. And I don't know if you've done this or not. I'm not pointing at anybody. But um, sometimes you'll hear these kind of things said. Well, brother, you're trying to sell or trying to do something. I'm a Christian. I'm going to take care of you. You can trust me. I'm a believer. Hey, can I just tell you, don't even say that. Let's just don't say that. Let's just conduct our business in such a manner that people will realize there's something different about us. And after we've finished our business one way or the other, if you want to share the gospel, that's a great time to share it. Sometimes we get real spiritual with our image when we're about to make a sale, particularly if we think the other person's a believer and we start throwing Christ in. We start associating with Christ. Let me tell you, when you start to associate, you better make sure the association is on the up and up, that the Spirit of God is resonating in your heart and you're not thinking about how can I get an edge, how can I manipulate, how can I make more. That's exactly what Gehazi is doing. He is manipulating the grace and the name of God here to glean and to get. Greed has consumed him. Now, we know money itself is neutral. It's what you do with it. You can use it to make a big impact for the kingdom of God, to help people and to share and to sh- for God's glory to shine. Or you can abuse it. We see here an act of abuse of the character. And we'll see there's a consequence for that. He continues. And we see that he doesn't understand grace. He's chased the money and now he's being deceitful. And what does Naaman say? Naaman thinks this is for the glory of God. And so what does he do? He gives more than even what's asked of him. He says, by all means, take two talents. You ask for one, I want you to take two. I want to give you double. And he said, he urged Gehazi to accept them. Then he tied up the two talents of silver in two bags and with the two sets of clothing. And he gave them to his two servants and sent them on ahead. And when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servant and put them away in the house. And then he sent the men on and they left. So what does he do here? Well, he gets more than he's asked for and he's certainly willing to take it. It's so much that he has to have servants to help him get it home. So when he gets home, he goes, you guys can go on ahead. Then he takes the talents of silver and he takes the money and he hides it in his own home. And then he goes before Elisha. And what question is asked at this point? Very interesting, as we see here. Then he went and he stood before his master Elisha. You know, it reminds me of the story in Acts with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. As they came before the temple and they said, We have sold this land and we're giving you all the money. 
And the apostle says, well, uh, did you sell it for this much? Are you keeping part of it as a profit for yourself? No, this is exactly what we got for it. And he said, how have you conspired to sin against God? This very day, it will require your life. And the Bible says they were struck dead, one after the other. They both made the same confession. They lied, and then they died. That's pretty, pretty stringent, I think, at the beginning of the church. But God was making a statement there. We see Gehazi. He stands before Elisha. The primary mechanism, the method of which God spoke to the people because they didn't have Bibles in that day and age. They spoke to the prophets. He stands before the prophet, before the Word of God, and this is what he says. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. And he says, your servant didn't go anywhere. I haven't done anything. You know, I've got, I've got almost a three-year-old, and sometimes, uh, you know, I will catch him, you know, eating or tracking in or something. I say, Brock, did you do that? No. I mean, it's amazing. Our sin nature kicks in. By the age of three, I can fully lie. Now, he's not any good at it, but he can fully lie. Just me looking him in the eye, and I'm looking at him. I'm seeing this. We don't have any other children. It must have been you. Your mother's gone. I know I've been asleep. So I, I, here's the situation. It was you, son. Okay, I know it was you. And he's just going, nope. So we all have that capacity. And it's like I say sometimes, sin makes you stupid. And money makes you that much stupider. Okay? Gehazi, he knows that Elisha has made prophecy. He knows that Elisha has been able to foretell what was coming through the Spirit of God. And he just bold-faced lies. I hadn't been anywhere. It's like Adam and Eve. Nope. Hadn't done anything. Hadn't been anywhere. And what does Elisha say? You know, I think if he would have confessed right there, that he probably would have been punished, but he might have got off. But he didn't have the spiritual transformation. He didn't understand the grace of God. He was only associated with the grace of God. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from the chariot to meet you? In other words, when he got down right before you lied, was not the Spirit of God speaking to you then? Did you not sense the Spirit of God? Have you become so hardened and we speaks that you cut it off and then you can just walk away? Did you not sense the Spirit of God, the conviction of God? And he says, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from the chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, men servants or maid servants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous, as white as snow. You see, on the outside, it appeared that Naaman was the unrighteous one. He grew up in a land where they worshipped pagan gods. He had been a militant. He had been very aggressive. He had probably killed. He had probably caused all sorts of calamities. But when he was transformed by the grace of God, it transformed him not just physically, outwardly, but internally. Where Gehazi looked okay on the outside. I mean, he hung out with Elisha. He was probably in all the temple services. He, had, he probably knew all the books of the Torah, which that wouldn't be very hard. He probably knew a lot. But he was only associated. He had not been transformed by grace. He had only associated with grace. That's a question for you this morning. Are you an associate of God's grace? Do you come to church? Do you maybe even pick up your Bible? 
Do you call yourself a believer? Have you been transformed? Have you let God come in and save you? Have you let God come in and transform your spirit? Have you asked God, replace my desires with your desires? Everything I have is yours. I am a manager. I am a steward. Use me. Make me. Mold me. Galatians 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 7 through 10 tells us this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in the proper time we will reap the harvest of plenty if we do not quit. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those in the family of believers. <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning and you're just kind of aggravated. I can't believe I had to come on this Sunday. And uh, I, I'm mad. I've been mad ever since you said that M-O-N-E-Y, man. I knew what you were going to do. I knew you were coming after you. I don't like this. I don't like it one bit. You're not manipulating me and you're not doing anything with me. So I wish you'd just shut up. I can't wait to get out of here. And God bless you for coming. God, you're here today. I want to take for a moment, though, and I just want to read Scripture to you. So forget what man has to say, and I want you to just listen to Scripture a minute. And I just want to read through Scripture. And I want you to search within your heart and see what you feel like God has to say to you this morning. God owns everything, and we are His managers. Deuteronomy 8. Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to reproduce wealth. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The land is mine, and you are but aliens and tenants. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. 1 Corinthians tells us you are not your own, you were bought with a price. Romans 11 tells us, for in Him and through Him all things were made, and to Him be the glory forever and ever. 1 Corinthians 4 says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Matthew 25 his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. God is exceedingly generous. And the Bible tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us, will He not also be gracious to us and who has graciously given us all things. 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet He became poor for our sakes, that through His poverty we might become rich. The Bible tells us that wealth is fleeting, and accumulation can simply become idolatry. It's Luke 6, 24, but woe to you who are rich, who have received the comforts and the riches of this life. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Proverbs 23, do not wear yourself out trying to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but at a glance at riches, for they are soon gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. 1 Timothy 6 says, People who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap into foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Though the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Deuteronomy 6, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, He swore to your fathers to give you a large, wonderful land, flourishing cities in which you did not build. 
houses filled with all kinds of things that you have not provided, wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who has brought you out of slavery. Money reveals what's in our heart. Giving reveals what's in our heart. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But the man went away very distraught because he had much. But godliness in First Timothy with contentment is great gain. For, there's, for we have brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. I want to read you a passage. In Luke. I want to read you one more passage. Luke chapter 12, beginning with the 15th verse. And Jesus is speaking here. And it's the only time that Jesus ever calls anyone a fool in the New Testament. It's the only time where we see the Word of God calling someone specifically a fool. Beginning in verse 15 of Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll rear, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store up my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up for himself but is not rich toward God. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and they have no storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your Father knows what you need. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And these things shall be added unto you. You know, again, money is neutral. Our possessions are neutral. God is not against us making money, having wealth. The question is, what are we doing with what we've been given? Is it all about us or is it for His glory? You know, it's so easy even in the little things to kind of get off track. It's so easy to find ourselves wasting money, wasting time. It find, we find so many times when there are needs that come about, we go, well, I just can't do it. And then we take an evaluation of our life and we realize there's usually for most of us a lot of waste. I want to give you an example of my life. Um, this right here is a uh, designer water bottle of Aquafina. Now, water's a good thing, isn't it? Nothing wrong with water. Uh, nothing bad with water. It's a basic element that we all must consume. Uh, it's necessary for life. Nothing bad or wrong with water. 
And uh, this is personally was my favorite, was Aquafina. Don't ask me why, I think because I like the label. Uh, but I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago, and it was interesting. They came out and confessed that if you have a good water system, there's basically no difference between the water in your water system and this bottle right here. But you know what I was doing? And you can ask my wife. I was drinking about 60 bottles of water a week. About 60 a week. I'd go buy cartons. As a matter of fact, if you'd ever looked in the back of my truck, you'd see a couple of cases of water there. I'd have a couple of cases in the garage. And these things are all over the house. You come to my office, there's just water bottles everywhere in my little office because I'm drinking water. And I'm thinking, it's good for me. And this is a good way to drink. This is a good thing to do. And I would just consume all the water that I can. I thought, well, this will help me not eat as much. And it will help me in my health. And this is just a good thing. And so I just drank water like crazy. And that's a great thing. The problem was is the water in the tap is just as good as the water in the bottle. There's not hardly any difference. Now, sometimes people have systems that might not be as good, but my water was good. And so I was, in effect, wasting money on water, water that was right there in a water fountain. And matter of fact, I got this little plastic bottle, and I have this sitting on my office desk now where there used to be 100 water bottles. Uh, I now have this sitting on this, and what I can do is I can go to the water fountain, fill it up, and you know what? I can't even tell the difference. It's just not in a designer bottle, okay? Now, I'm not saying if you have a water bottle, don't hide them all from me, okay? Sometimes when I stop at a, at a station or on a ball game, I'll still get a bottle of water. That's not the point. I'm not down on bottled water. I'm down on waste. I'm down on misuse. When we buy into the world's marketing system on something that we think we have to have, luxuries we think to have, when really we've already got what we need. We've already been provided for, and we're throwing money away. We find ourselves throwing resources away to get what we, in a sense, already have. Isn't it wild how, how the, the presence of evil, the presence of greed can consume us to where we want to just get, 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 and then something new comes out and we've got to get a newer one and a bigger one and a better one? when in reality the other one was working fine, and until somebody told us it didn't work as well, and it wasn't as good, we didn't even know. That's called kind of the greed. That's when we find ourselves making the getting the idolatry. We start to worship the stuff and the image of the stuff more than the maker himself. Here's my question for you today. What are you investing in? Are you investing in things that can't be stolen? Are you investing in things that make a difference? That make an eternal impact? Or are you finding yourself just being consumed with getting the next thing, the next deal? Hey, God's blessed us. And he wants us to enjoy the blessings we have. But He also wants us to remember where they came from acknowledge Him and be willing to help those who are less fortunate and to help in the needs of the kingdom. The question is, are we doing this in spite of this? Are we following the stuff, feeding our flesh, and leaving out the things that are important, the things that make an impact? What are you investing in today?